Good morning, and welcome to episode 295 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. I am currently scrolling through Jeff Luna's follows on Twitter, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it is uh, an interesting group. It is almost all Astros fans or, or Astros bloggers or yeah. actual Astros, and then uh, randomly a Jerry DePoto parody account. <laughs> Maybe he and, and thinks it's real DePoto. It's called Not Jerry DePoto. <laughs> oh, okay. And the bio is I am not Jerry DePoto. And it's not a particularly well followed account. Um, but he also follows Richard Hidalgo, uh, who is ex-Astro. the next person. Ex Astro, yes. Uh, and I I feel like I feel like I should be following Richard Hidalgo. <laughs> uh, ben, how are you? Not so great. I'm as sad as I was when Matt Harvey got hurt, plus how sad I was when Manny Machado got hurt. I'm that sad. Because I just watched the Dexter season series finale. He follows Paul Sporer. Really? He does. That's nice. Good for him. Good for Paul. Yeah. Uh, You're sad because... I don't... Who cares? <laughs> I won't say anything about it, but those of you who listen and watch Dexter will know why I'm sad. I would rather watch the sad parts of the last few Breaking Bad episodes on repeat over and over than than watch that again. I've just started uh, watching The Shield. Yeah, and I've considered that's great... considered starting that one. Haven't yeah, gotten there a, yet, but it, yeah. It's, it's scary because it uh, seemed my impression of it was always that it was like a standard procedural, but then I kept hearing good things from from good people. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it turns out to be really good. Hmm. I I always put it off. I put that off in in Battlestar Galactica, even though everybody says they're great, just because they're kind of they're genre shows. And I figured you know I could get to them someday. And uh, today or yesterday, I got to the Shield. It turns out to be great. Anyway, um, all right. So what do you want to talk about? Um, well, first we should probably mention the Carlos, Carlos Gomez thing, right? Cause we got like 20 tweets and emails and people posting in the Facebook group about that. Uh, yeah. Talk about it. So, I mean, all of you have, have probably seen Carlos Gomez hit a home run, watched the home run for quite a while. Uh, he had been hit by Paul Mahalam who allowed the home run earlier in the season. And so there was some bad blood there and, People, Braves yelled at him as he rounded the bases and told him to run, uh, and he yelled back. And then when he got to home plate, Brian McCann was blocking the way. Uh, And so they yelled for a while, benches cleared, and Gomez never actually touched home plate. And then he was ejected from the game. So does this exactly meet meet our our criteria? Because he was ejected, and he did never touch the plate. But sure. the run counts because there's a yeah. a rule that says if you're if the runner's obstructed, then he's awarded at least one base beyond the base that he had legally touched. So he's awarded home because McCann was in his way. Yeah. So does that mean that he was ejected mid-play? Maybe it's kind of a semantic thing. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'm counting it, and I I think oh he follows you can't predict baseball. Oh. <laughs> uh. 
which I support. Uh, yeah, I feel to me it feels like the ruling. It was a. Uh, I don't know. It was a uh, the. To me, the ruling was used as a convenient out for the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it it is a technically sound ruling. You do if you're obstructed on your way to a base, uh, you do get that base, and so uh, you know the. But but to me, it sort of feels like this is exactly what we were talking about, which is like sort of winging it, right? They scrambled mm-hmm. to find an explanation for what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to me, even though there is, they, they had a, a loophole, the, the, uh, the situation did not actually necessarily present itself in a way that forced them to, to grapple with it. Uh, to me, this is precedent. This suggests that this is what they would do at any point. And, and also, um, well, yeah, I, I guess, I, I mean, it, the, the rule says that you get at least one base. So I was going to say if uh, if Freeman had obstructed him, they could have still used, you know made the same ruling even if he'd mm-hmm. been even if he hadn't touched first. Mm-hmm. Um, but if Freeman hadn't, if if he'd just been ejected um, somewhere along the way, then would he get it? I, I think this suggests strongly that he would have. I mean, it's not like McCann really obstructed him. I mean, they didn't. McCann stood in his way and mm-hmm. they started yelling at each other, but. You know, this this is not classic obstruction where, uh, you know, he got in the way. He didn't really disrupt Carlos Gomez's progress. <laughs> he started a fight with him. Yeah. Interesting that he somehow stayed in that game. I mean, if Carlos Gomez had, like, had his head down and had run right into him without <laughs> seeing him, yeah, th- that might have been obstruction, obstruction-esque. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know. I just feel like it was a situation that needed a ruling and they made one but Mm -hmm. yeah okay i think it counts it counts yeah well interesting coincidence that that happened just after we had been talking about that and thanks to everyone who alerted us Mm -hmm. so my topic is september pitcher usage starting pitcher usage and mine is the uh the astros experiment okay Uh, so why don't you uh why don't you start Okay. Hey, we just got another tweet about it just now. Uh, okay, so September pitcher uses. So I was thinking about this because just kind of looking at scores and looking at box scores, it doesn't seem like there's a noticeable or it, my impression was that there wasn't a noticeable difference in how starters were being used or allowed to to pitch deep into games. Um, and this seemed curious to me. It was partially inspired by... The, the Ned Yost decision from uh, a week, 10 days ago, when he left Jeremy Guthrie in in the eighth inning of a game that the Royals were, I guess, up by one run, and he, he gave up a couple solo homers, and the Royals lost, which was pretty terrible, considering that, that the Royals have a great bullpen, and it's September, so it's expanded rosters, so... I mean, you could you could go I don't know how many deep on that roster and find people who probably should have been pitching that inning instead of Jeremy Guthrie. That's Ned Yost, of course, and Ned Yost does does perplexing things sometimes. But it doesn't seem like there were a whole lot of people being pulled early. So I I asked our stat guys to to look at this, um, just to look at the the batter's face per start and pitches per start for each month of the season, combining March and April and September and October over the last five years, and then also splitting it into playoff teams and non-playoff teams to see if there was a difference there. 
So uh, why did why did you choose March and April? It seems to me that March and April is a bad month to compare to. Uh, no, I, I guys got, are getting. I got, such- I got every month, uh, but oh, I, okay. I just combined March and April into oh, okay, good thing. Um, good and September and October. And uh, so first, I guess I'll I'll ask you to guess what you think the the difference is in batter's face per start. So um, so the average from uh, the average from from March to August is uh, I don't know roughly like twenty five point four or so batters face per start um, and something like ninety six point two pitches. So what would you guess the average is in each of those things or either of those things for September? Hmm. Well, it's interesting because even apart from the central question, you have you have September call up. So you would have some starters who are making starts who are, t- you know, who aren't good. Mm-hmm. And so you would expect them to lower it. But on the other hand, the, the quality of lineup overall is also lower. Yeah. So I don't know if that would be a, a perfect wash or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just put that aside. So 25.6 or something like that and, yeah. and 96.2. or 96.2. I will guess that uh, they are, I'll say 25.4 and 96.2. <laughs> uh, there is a difference. Um, it's not a huge difference, but it's a significant difference. It's it's like one better faced, basically. Uh-huh. Um, about one better faced and... Uh, fewer than four pitches somewhere between three and four pitches um so yeah it's like 92.8 pitches 24.5 batters faced so i'm wondering whether this is optimal and i guess it's kind of a a complicated question i mean so you guess there would be no difference do you think there should be no difference or I guess I should ask you one more question. Do you think there's a difference between playoff teams and non-playoff teams in the right, September yeah. decline? That's my second second quiz for you. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the instances where it would be significant, would they'd be pretty rare, right? I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, three or four pitchers on, on 10 teams who in some circumstances might pitch an inning or two fewer, like if it was a blowout or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like I saw, there was some there was some controversy over this with the Rangers. I mean, controversy that so overstates it. There were people on Twitter <laughs> talking about this with Derek Holland pitching in a blowout uh-huh. against the Astros a couple of days ago, uh-huh. uh, and it was like twelve nothing. So that's mm-hmm. why it, it comes up. I, I don't I don't know that it would have come up if it had been two to nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's it's rare that I would think that 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 you would really grapple with this question. Um, but I guess I think that there's probably, uh, I mean, you know, you're, you're talking about 30 pitches maybe or 50 pitches for a guy uh, or a couple of innings. I mean, I, I like the idea of giving breaks mm-hmm. to pitchers in September when you can, mm-hmm. um, but I just have a hard time believing that it's going to make any significant difference. And, um, you know, I'm sure that that probably managers are thinking they want to, you know, keep guys on some sort of regular routine where they're, yeah. you know, they, they know what, you know, they know what's expected of them. They're, they're sort of maybe gearing up mm-hmm. for the playoffs where, you know, you want them thinking that they're a horse and that they're an ace and they're mm-hmm. going to pitch deep into the game. Um, so it doesn't seem to me like a real big opportunity, unless you're talking about, I, I was thinking about talking 
today about uh, rookie pitchers because there's a there's a few playoff teams that are dependent on on pitchers who would you know otherwise maybe be reaching the their innings limits this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know specifically like Cole and and, and yeah. Waka and uh, Shelby Miller. Yeah. Uh, and you know Miller hasn't looked the same for the last really month or two. He's been good, but he has not looked dominant. Um, and so you, I was wondering whether teams that are reliant on rookie pitchers do worse in the postseason mm-hmm. for you know for that reason. Um, but I mean, if I had Shelby Miller, I I might try to like I, I might try to limit him to like four innings no matter what or something like that and you know just make it clear that it's, uh, it's an endurance thing and nothing else that it's a long season and they're realistic about that mm-hmm. um, I I don't know I mean I, I might go to a seven man rotation or something like that yeah but I feel like the inning that you're talking about the extra inning that he's pitching or not pitching is just completely probably irrelevant I don't know so the there is a small difference between playoff teams and non-playoff teams in the amount they decrease the starters' workload in September. Uh, well, but the pitchers... but playoff teams are also playoff teams are also a lot of those playoff teams are playing for something where yeah. nobody else is playing for something. Right, so right, that right. would cancel that out. Well, okay, so uh, okay, so the September average for for both playoff and non-playoff teams is almost exactly the same, uh, like ninety-two point eight, ninety-two point nine. But playoff teams have starters who go deeper into games, so their pitches per start throughout the rest of the season is like two pitches more or so. So there's there's a slight slightly greater decline in the uh, the amount of drop off in September in their starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I feel like there should be a difference, and I don't know whether it should be greater than it is or not. But I feel like there should be a difference because there are. There are two types of of playoff teams, right? There's the playoff team that has everything sewn up and isn't really playing for everything. I mean, I guess most most playoff teams are playing for something right up until the end, even if it's home field advantage and getting the best record in their league. Um, there's usually some incentive, but there are but there's the you know the the teams who have giant leads and aren't don't really have much at stake, so they can afford to rest pitchers if they think that that would be beneficial. And and I agree that you wouldn't want to dramatically change their usage because, I mean, you wouldn't, you know, want to have guys going four innings or something because they're used to doing what they do and you want to to keep, keep them on their routine and have them not deviate from that. But uh, I feel like it couldn't hurt to save them an inning here and there, um, even if it's just like, just the the remote chance that they'll hurt themselves in that extra inning, right? Even if it's even if it's not the fatigue, even if the fatigue isn't that significant, they could get hit by a comebacker or something, or or pull a hamstring covering first, or you know whatever it is. There's some slight chance that 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 could happen and and knock them out of the playoffs. So if if there's no real reason for them to be in the game, then why not take them out and put in some some guy you called up for September. You have a giant bullpen in September. And then there's yeah. the other type of playoff team, which is the one that is fighting up to the last second for a playoff spot. And I feel like even that team should probably have shorter starts because it's like the playoffs. It's, the playoffs are starting early for that team. And in the playoffs, you 
probably should should go to your bullpen earlier, I would think, right? I mean, the, there are studies that show that after a starter has been through the lineup a few times, it's it's usually a good idea to go to a reliever, even if it's, you know, your ace or your horse or whatever. And even if he looks like he's pitching well and he's been successful in that start, the outcome is still still probably more positive for the, the reliever who comes in fresh than the guy who's who's going through the lineup for the third time. So if you're one of those teams that's right on the bubble and needs to win every game and treat every game as a must win, then I feel like you should also be going to your bullpen earlier on the whole, um, especially because you have a deeper bullpen, although the, the bottom of the bullpen guys that you called up for September probably wouldn't be pitching in those high leverage spots anyway. But between those two factors, I feel like there should be a drop-off, and my intuition, my sense is that maybe it should be even bigger than it is. Um, that would be hard to, to show, but th- I, that's my suspicion. Yeah, I, I, I just think that the drop-off need uh, to me, I would be all in favor of a drop-off that was very visible. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it's the, the sort of the very subtle drop off wouldn't really do much for me, but the, you know, a, a drop off that was significant, I think would make a lot of sense, but then there doesn't seem to be much appetite for, for that in baseball. Like no. there's, mm-hmm. there's, a, I mean, you don't see, I mean, all the things that you said about, you know, maybe a, a, you know, a comeback roll hit him on the knee or whatever, uh, that would be true of every, you know, of every player on the team of, of all the starters in the lineup, you know, mm-hmm. that it would be true of the catcher and the first baseman and all that. And you just don't really see teams take two weeks off at the end of September uh, in a way that you might expect. And so my guess is that this just falls under, you know, the unwritten rules mandate or something. Like you don't like they they you don't want it to be visible. I can see. Uh, yeah, I I'm not even really talking about um, giving up any. Like I'm not talking about conceding a game and just skipping a start and putting some scrub in. And I can see why you wouldn't maybe want to give position players a bunch of days off because, you know, maybe it disrupts their timing or something or they're not used to getting days off and they, I don't know, they want to stay in their routine or whatever it is. Maybe for a position player, it's not worth giving them an entire day off. I think you probably see more substitutions. I didn't I didn't look, but I would, I would guess that you see fewer guys playing complete games in September. Um but with a starter, if he's staying on his schedule and he's making his start the day that he usually would and he's getting his work in and it's just saving him a little bit of work and a little bit of injury risk um, and not necessarily even even giving up any win probability because if it's one of those close games, you're putting in a reliever who could maybe make you even more likely to win the game. And if you're taking out a guy with a big lead, then that probably isn't going to change change things much either. So I don't know. To me, it doesn't seem like the there does seem to be a sense that you have to try to win every game, if only if only for the the good of the teams that are, still are competing. Um, but to me, it seems like you could you could go easier on some starters in September without running afoul of that unwritten rule and and that maybe it would be a good idea he follows a an account called repub lead circle uh-huh. which is which describes itself as a discussion group for moderate republicans which is uh you know makes uh, he also follows drudge and so you know that seems to fit but 
what's weird is that this Repub lead circle Twitter account only has 13 followers. He's one of he's one of 13 followers of this huh. of this group. Which is kind of odd, right? He was the third. He was the third follower. Maybe he knows the person who does it or something. Let's see if they follow him back. Maybe he is part of this group. They do not follow him back. Huh? Huh? <laughs> Forty-one tweets from this. The last one was January two thousand eleven. Unusual Bachman rebuttal could scramble GOP message on Obama address. Remember that. Do you remember that day? <laughs> um, the, the Michelle Bachman uh, rebuttal to the State of the Union, where she was like looking off at like a weird angle. And so uh, oh. people, for like 20 minutes, everybody in the world made a big deal about the State of the Union rebuttal. And then we all moved on to something else. State of the Union rebuttals are always a big deal. There's the, the Rubio one. Uh-huh. I, that was yeah, a big with deal. the water. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you can't not have, you can't not do something awkward during that, it seems like. So I feel like we probably talked about the Astros uh, uh, sort of, uh, you know, approach, I guess, to winning and, and not winning before the season started. Yeah. Uh, and we, I don't know. We might have written about it. I can't remember. And I, I don't remember what we thought about it. So um, I guess we can talk about it again. But uh, specifically, I figured we've now seen it in action. I, I think, as if I recall... I was in favor of it. I thought that it was kind of uh, it was kind of nice to see someone basically go uh, all the way with this thing that you know mm-hmm. sabermetrics had kind of long advised to see one, a team actually for the very first time go all the way with it and 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 get past half measures and go full measure and and I was interested in it and I, I thought it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've now seen it in action for for a year, for a full year in a way that last year was not. I mean, mm-hmm. last year was basically a punt season but not unprecedented. This Astros team was essentially unprecedented in their in their punting, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, with the payroll what it was and and just sort of the openness about what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. Um and so, uh, so we've seen it in action. The year is wrapping up. Um, they're going to lose probably like 110 games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be their third year in a row with uh, 106 or more losses. Um, and uh, Ryan Lynn just told me, told us, told you and I, told, told me mm-hmm. uh, before we came on that that is just the second team in history to lose 105 three years in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh the expansion Mets were the only other team that's that's done so. <laughs> uh, so I just want to know because this kind of got brought up again um, in in discussions today on the internet. Uh, did this season leave any sort of bad taste in your mouth about uh, how the Astros have have done it? And 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 also did do well? No, I'll just ask you that question. Um. Yeah, I think so. I I still can't argue with their decision to do it. It seems like it's still probably a smart strategy although i i do wonder about the the impact on the fan base just i mean remember when we talked last year about how we were outdrawing the astros tv broadcast yeah and i assume you saw the the more recent numbers about the yeah. astros oh uh they had a zero nielsen rating on sunday <laughs> 0. 0.0 not a uh-huh. single one of the Nielsen families in Houston was watching the Astros that day. Um, <laughs> it was it was during a Texans game, so yeah. that probably explains it. But no one was watching. And, and the Astros still have that weird TV situation where not everyone can get their games and everything. But, but the point is that no one is watching the Astros. Um, 
And, and yet they they're outdrawing the Rays. Just to, <laughs> just just in their defense, they they are drawing fans. I mean, well, they they should draw fans. There are a lot of a lot of people there. Um, but but yeah, that's it's. I guess it's surprising that anyone is is going, considering the the players they're putting on the field. But but yeah, it it does sort of leave a sour taste. Or I I wish this weren't a smart thing to do. I, I still can't argue with the way they're doing it, and I still sort of enjoy the the way they've committed to doing it. But it has kind of made me consider whether something should be done to to prevent this being a good idea. You know, I I hear a lot of you know I hear a lot of sort of half defenses of the Astros saying, oh well, it's not their fault; it's the incentives that baseball puts in place yeah. for them, as though you know like. Sort of like, oh, well, this isn't something that we're in favor of, but we're not blaming the Astros for it. Mm-hmm. And and I know that there are some incentives in place that, you know, some, you know, like the revenue sharing, uh, you know, kind of takes away some of the disincentive and, uh, you know, the way that the, you know, international bonuses work mm-hmm. is a small sort of thing. But And the but fact basically- that the, the number one pick is is there's such a big gap between the value expected value of the number one pick as opposed to the number two pick or that the gap between one and two is bigger than the gap between any other two spots. And, uh-huh. and Carlos Rodon is, is, is looking like the best number one pick that yeah. there's been since, I don't know, Harper Strasburg. So, um, yeah. So those are, those are factors, but to me, this, even if those, even if those things were not factors, I mean, it would still make sense to a large degree to do this. I mean, it's kind of just a basic part of of any system. You can, in you know, you can very often invest more, you know, at a better kind of rate in the future than you can in the present. And I mean, like, so for instance, I don't pay for cable. You know, I don't. So like, other than other than right now, because I'm paying two dollars an episode to see Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. I watch Breaking Bad a year a year later, and I get to watch it for basically for free. And if you time shift like that in your life, you can get almost everything for free. It's like kind of an incredible thing. Like if you can live almost your whole life for free as long as you don't mind getting everything two weeks late or six months late or four years late. And this is sort of just a strategy I've made in my life that I'm not you know going to care that much about the present. I'll get it all four years later, and it'll be fine. And you know, I'll be like uh, you know Harry and Dumb and Dumber seeing the newspaper and being like, you know, it's it's the same thrill of seeing that a man was on the moon. You know, it's just because you find out about it yeah. thirty five years late, it's still a thrill. You know, this podcast so, is the exception to that. You can get so it free the day it comes out. You can, and yet many people that we know are four or five months behind for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've made a decision that that it is more efficient. For me to to time shift basically and this is like an, an analogy it's not a I guess it's a metaphor more than it's an analogy I should say uh, but in sort of the same way it will always make sense for teams to um, you know to make a choice of whether they're gonna kind of put their resources into the future uh, at certain points and so like I think even if the draft picks and the international bonuses and the revenue sharing weren't a factor the Astros were still going to be garbage this year. It was still going to make sense for them to not invest resources in the product on the field. Mm-hmm. It, and so to me, this is not really about baseball's incentives. This is just a simple matter of like, you're going to be around for more than this year. Like that's, 
they're going to be around for 100 years. So if the goal is to win as many games over the course of 100 years or to win as many World Series over the course of 100 years, instead of just treating this year like it's the last year that we're ever on Earth, you're always going to have those incentives. They're inherent in, in competition. That, mm-hmm. that it would show up in all sorts of ways. So I don't, I don't actually think that baseball is to blame for this. And I also don't think the Astros are necessarily as much to blame as... I mean, I just quoted their three years in a row that they had these ridiculous, you know, ridiculously bad seasons. Mm-hmm. But they, it's not as though they were doing this for three years or four years or five years. They were a horrible team in a horrible situation that the current front office inherited a really bad team that had just lost 106 games and had the worst farm system in baseball. I mean, it's really hard to do that. It's really hard to be both the worst team in baseball and have the worst farm system in baseball. Mm-hmm. But they actually had that. Like, that's an incredible thing that they had to, yeah. to turn around. It's the bizarro and Cardinals. It is the bizarro Cardinals, yeah. And, you know, I mean, to some degree, probably I'm exaggerating this a little bit, but when I did that thing about what it, how long it takes to sort of recover from having the worst farm system in baseball you could see like the effects of the 2004 farm system even in 2010's horrible Astros season and so I mean this was just sort of a fact that they were going to have to cope with one way or another I don't think that there was any realistic way that they were going to not lose 94 games this year or or 90 games this year Mm -hmm. they didn't make a choice between being respectable and being horrible they were going to be horrible like I mean, we're like, I guess what I'm saying is we're not even talking about a team that chose not to win 80. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to win 80. They couldn't win 80. It's the, the, they were that they were further away from 90 and being competitive, but they weren't even going to win 80. Mm-hmm. They got, they got handed an awful team with an awful organization. And so to me, it, it, it really was kind of necessary and they were going to be kind of a shameful farce of a team regardless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, in my mind, they kind of made it entertaining, and they embraced it in a way that I think uh, made it less depressing than it would have been otherwise. Yeah, it would be. Different. I mean, to me, the twins, the twins have been more depressing in the last three or four years uh-huh. than the than the Astros have been to me. It would be different if it had been the same regime in charge of all three of these terrible seasons. That would be different, I think, because you they they could have done something to get less terrible if it had been a three-year thing, but they came in in the middle of that and were handed handed the lousy deal from the last organization. And so that kind of makes, that makes a difference to me. And I, so do you think that if there were a draft lottery and they weren't assured of the number one pick, they would have lost exactly as many games this year as, as yeah. they will? Yeah, I would guess that the, I would guess that the draft had almost nothing to do with their decision. Hmm. I mean, that's that's a. It is nice to get the number one pick and and all that. I'm I'm sure that they're very glad that baseball has this this in place. Yeah. Um. But I don't know. To to me, you don't you don't you don't build a season around getting the first pick instead of the second pick. Um. It's you know to some degree it's risky. I mean, they the Marlins could have very easily won it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. But no, I don't think the draft is a is an issue here. I, I think the fact that they were going to make a lot of money on revenue sharing, and so from business perspective, it wasn't a crippling decision, mm-hmm. probably probably enabled it. Um, but no, I, I think it was just a simple, realistic approach to building a, a winner, and uh, they probably would have done it regardless. Hmm. 
Okay, so uh, what does their what does their improvement curve, I guess, have to look like for for you to continue feeling positive about their strategy and their progress? How many games do they have to win next year and the year after for you to to not change your tune about the the approach that they've taken? Oh, yeah, I probably don't have patience for another year like this. I think you only get one year where it's farcical. Yeah. Um, and they barely avoided farcical, far, far, they barely avoided farce in 2012. They were just, they were horrible in 2012, but it wasn't quite so obvious what they were, <laughs> what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that, yeah, my, my patience is probably just about out. And I would like to see, I don't know what I'd like to see next year. I guess I'd like to see a, I'd like to see them do what the Cubs did this year, mm. next year, and uh, you know put a put a put a bunch of credible major leaguers in this in in there, but you know while not sacrificing long term, uh-huh. and then and then I'd like to see probably you know them think of themselves like the Royals thought of themselves at least. Cubs have uh, only Cubs have only Cubs have only gotten like five or six games better. Maybe since last year, they have 65 yeah. wins right now. They had 61 last year. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So, so I mean, they yeah, they I'm definitely made an effort. Um, That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. I, okay. I, I just mean making an effort. Mm-hmm. And and not even an, not an, I mean, the Cubs didn't make any sort of effort to win. They just sort of they made an effort, I guess, to have. You know, you could you could so, you could have squinted and imagined a situation where the Cubs could have been the Orioles. Yeah, I, uh, I didn't. Yeah, I thought they would be better than than this. And they yeah. they have un, they've underplayed their their Pythag record by like six games or something. So they just you just need to be able to say like everything could break right. It won't, but everything could break right. I mean, well, as we've talked about at this point in Major League Baseball, twenty six or twenty seven or twenty eight teams are theoretically in contention from day one. You know, the, with the second wild card and with the way that um, you know, we've seen teams surprise over the last few years. If everything breaks right, most teams can win. But the Astros could not possibly have won, and the Marlins could not possibly have won mm-hmm. this year. And they just need to, I, I would say they need to make some effort so that that's not true again next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you know what? It's conceivable that they could do this again, and they could do it so convincingly that I would continue <laughs> to think it's a good, a, a good idea. My guess is that I probably wouldn't. It's fun to look at their farm system. It's sort of fun. I mean, it's fun to watch the shield. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. I'll find out for myself someday. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll be back tomorrow with the last show of the week. And in the meantime, you can email us, podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Ben, are you still recording? Yep. Okay, because sometimes <laughs> I do this and Ben tells me that he has already... He, he stopped in that little in that brief little moment of silence that you heard before I started talking. Ben sometimes anyway. Our edits are often ambiguous. Podcasts at baseballprospectus.com. Thank you. I think beat writers wear one outfit. Like all of them wear the no, one or each, each one, one has one. Each one has one. Uh-huh. I I certainly did for a while. I wasn't a beat writer, but I basically wore the exact same thing for the first four years that I, the first three years that I went to games. But now I don't. Now I, I every dress day? well. Uh, well, I never. I didn't go every every yeah. day, you know. But every yeah, time I, you went.
Every time I went, I wore the same thing. Yeah, I wore. <laughs> what, is, what is that? A pair of jeans, and I wore a, uh, a, a, a like sort of a polo shirt that I once saw Bill James wearing, coincidentally, <laughs> and I wore a, a dark hoodie, which is basically. I mean, I, I pretty much wear jeans and a hoodie everywhere I go, even through the summer. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was just a polo shirt was to give it a little class. But then I saw Tom Verducci. Oh, and, well. <laughs> and I realized, yeah. It changed no, your I, ways. I, it did change my ways. I realized that I should dress like a grown-up and you stand out. And if you show up in a tie, you look like you are a bigger deal. Helps if you look like Verducci, too. I do. Don't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, totally. 